Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Several years ago, there was a film that was released, and the film was called Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace, it chronicles the story of a man by the name of William Wilberforce as he endeavors to end the British transatlantic slave trade in the early 19th century. And Wilberforce's pastor was a, na- was a man by the name of John Newton. And yes, that's the same John Newton that wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton's story is very unique and very different. We always sing his song, but we never marvel at his life. There was not much to marvel at after all. Uh, John Newton, in his earlier days, was a slave trader. He would steal people away from the continent of Africa. He would buy and sell men and women. He would separate children from their families. And he would take them to the Americas, where he would sell them on auction blocks. And and, and as you look at the story of John Newton and his life, Uh, John Newton encounters Jesus Christ, and John Newton became saved. He became a believer, and through that conversion experience, Newton himself, instead of trading slaves, he tried to end the slave trade. Now, Wilberforce, he is talking to John Newton in one particular scene, and he is wanting some of the details of Newton's background and his life, and Newton is unable to share it with him. Because it was so painful and so hard and so difficult. Newton even says that he's unable to talk about the concept of his earlier life in his past days because he said that there are 20,000 ghosts that haunt him. And of course, he's speaking of the, the Africans that he would steal away from the continent and sell, and many of whom would either die on a boat or die later in the Americas in their, uh, in their chains and bondage as slaves. Well, toward the end of Newton's life, Wilberforce and Newton, they got together one last time, and and Newton's eyesight had begun to fail, his hearing had begun to fail, and so he began to chronicle his life and his journeys, and it was during that period of time that he wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And so as Wilberforce and as Newton gathered together and began talking, and they began sharing a testimony of God's amazing grace, not just for, uh, for Newton, but also for Wilberforce as well. And he said this, this being uh, John Newton, he said, although that my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And friends, God is a great Savior. Jesus is a great Savior. Isn't it great, by the way, that Jesus is a friend to sinners? He is a friend to sinners. He is a partner to the parasite. He is a triumph for the tragic. Jesus, as our video just stated, Jesus can take our mess and turn it into a message. There is perhaps no greater example of this 
of Christ's love for the sinner that, that can be found in Luke chapter 15 and the entirety of that, that chapter. We have three parables that are captured in Luke chapter 15. And these parables are about sin. And in each case, uh, there is sacrifice being made to bring something lost back home, to bring something lost back into the fold. We have, of course, the lost sheep. That's what we're talking about this morning. And then the next story we see is the lost coin. And, and then after that, we see the lost son, often referred to as the prodigal son. And what we discover from the text is that Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners. He loves me. I am a sinner. I am a sinner in need of so much grace. And so are you. And I'm so thankful that he loves me and that he loves you and he's given his very life to transform me and to transform you. He loves me. He loves you. He has transformed us from lost to found. And Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. The background and context of today's message is this, that sinners had come to hear Christ. The religious crowd, the Pharisees, they came to not hear Christ, but they came rather to criticize Jesus. And the reason, I think, for this parable seems that this is Jesus' response to his critics. His critics would say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And thank God that Jesus is that kind of man. A man that would sit with sinners like me and you. And in this parable, we learn the value of one lost sheep. That we learn the worth of one lost sheep to the shepherd. We see the response of the shepherd in finding his sheep. And so this morning, let's read together out of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. You can read along with me. Hopefully you'll see these words on your computer screen or television. It says this in Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. Perhaps there were no two greater groups of people in this world uh, that were considered as sinners in Jesus' day than tax collectors and sinners. Notice which one comes first, tax collectors. These were Jews that were working for the Roman government and collecting taxes from their people to give to that oppressive regime. And these tax collectors, they would, they would take more money than they actually needed from their own people to pad their own pockets. So tax collectors were hated. They were hated. And it was amazing, uh, by the way, that Jesus even used a tax collector, called a tax collector, to be one of his own disciples. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. And so you can imagine as Jesus would walk through the towns and people would know who Matthew was and they would say, my goodness, I can't believe that Jesus, the master, the rabbi, has called Matthew a tax collector. And then when you see the word sinners, we're talking not just specifically about people like us, just sort of everyday sinners. If you go back to the original Greek word, you discover there that sinner is something much worse. It is the lowest of the low. You'd be talking about drunkards. You'd be talking about drug abusers. You'd be talking about prostitutes. These are the kind of people that Jesus would spend time with. I would imagine that if Jesus were alive today and he was living here on planet earth, 
I believe that Jesus would spend very little time here in probably modern day churches. I believe that Jesus, he'd be spending all of his time in downtown Mobile. I believe that he would be spending all of his time with the homeless population. He'd probably be down in the parks and he'd probably be ministering uh, to the men and women that, that a, a park bench is their, is their bedroom. He would be spending time at, at places where, where drugs are sold. And yet these are the people that Jesus often called to be his disciples. So the tax collectors and the sinners, they were drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. There's something very intimate, by the way, about eating with people. I would probably dare say that as I peruse social media during this time of pandemic and quarantine, I see people trying to creatively uh, reconstruct aspects of their lives that they miss most. And one of the things that I see constantly is people sitting down with their computers and they're sharing meals together via a conference call, maybe using Zoom or FaceTime. They miss that togetherness. They miss going out. They miss sitting at a table together. And so they're trying to recreate that, that thing that they miss. And Jesus, he would spend time with these sinners eating with them because it offers an intimacy that now we really understand and we miss today. And so Jesus is sitting there. He's receiving sinners. He's eating with them. And in verse 3 it says, so he told them this parable. What man of you Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. Now do me a favor. If you will, in your Bibles, if you have those open, I want you to underline those words, until he finds it. Until he finds it. That's a very important point. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So this morning, I want to discuss with you three lessons that we learn from the shepherd. Now, this morning, the first lesson that we're going to be realizing is this. We're going to see the response of the shepherd. And that comes, by the way, in verse 4. Verse 4 says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one which is lost until he finds it. You know, we learn a lot about the shepherd from verse 4. The very first thing that we learn is that the shepherd has compassion on the sheep. Let's look at the sheep for just a second. This one sheep, this 100th sheep that walks off on his own. This sheep, by the way, would have been surrounded by all the other sheep and these, these sheep gather together in a certain way to protect them from predators. Especially at nighttime, when you drive by a field, you'll see sheep. And they've collected each other into a, a small herd, and they're bunched all together. And what happens in that little small herd is they always place the strongest sheep on the outside, and they place the weakest sheep on the inside, so, so that hopefully a wolf or a coyote or whatever, that that predator won't hit that that, that weak sheep. And so here we've got the weakest sheep, and we discover that it is the weakest here in just a moment. But this weakest sheep, 
He goes in the middle of the group. The stronger the sheep is outside. And Jesus is talking about that specific sheep. This, this sheep has left the herd. He's left the protection of his family and of the other sheep. And he has struck out on his own. There's no reason, by the way, that, that tells us why the sheep did what it did. It just made a choice, and now that sheep is in danger. It's lost. It is separated. It has broken fellowship with the herd. So what is the response of the shepherd? Is the shepherd angry? Is the shepherd mad? Is the shepherd frustrated? No. The shepherd shows tremendous amounts of compassion for the sheep. This morning, if you're following along with me as this point comes up, we see the compassion for sheep. The shepherd leaves the 99 strong sheep and goes after the one that is lost. This past Thursday, I was at my house, obviously, as many of you are doing, and, and I, was, uh, I was cleaning up, I was picking up, I was trying to help Angela. You know, everybody's at home, so our home seems like it's constantly a mess. And as I was at home together with Angela, I was upstairs in our bonus room picking up, and I heard some footsteps coming up my staircase and opens the door, and it was Jack. Man, I love Jack. Jack is, is one of my favorites. I, I love spending time with him. But when I looked at Jack, I could tell Jack was really upset. He had tears running down his eyes. And I said, buddy, what, what's wrong? And he says, daddy, I, I've, I've broken something. And I said, what did you break, man? And, and he said, Daddy, I was down at the pond, and all my friends, we were down there, and we were fishing. We've got a little small pond at the front end of our, of our neighborhood, and it stays stocked with bass and brim. And so the boys will go down there with their fishing poles, and they'll spend hours down there just fishing. And he said, Dad, while I was down there, I, I was leaning up against the pump that supplies water uh, to this pond, and it also uh, gives a, a great fountain out in the middle and keeps the water stirred up. And, and he said, Dad, I was leaning up against the pipe and he goes I guess I leaned on it too hard and the pipe busted and now there's water that's spraying up like a fire hydrant in our neighborhood and he was really upset about it he really thought he was going to get in really big trouble for it and so as I began to talk to Jack and I saw that he was really upset my heart just kind of broke for him and I said son here's here's what we're going to do Let's go down there. Let's hop in the truck. Let's, let's get down there and let's see what's going on. And so we got in the truck together. Jack was still upset in the truck. And as we're driving down the road, I can see it. And it's shooting about seven feet up in the air, the water. And we get out and, and one of our neighbors is already down there. And we figure out first how to turn the water off. And we did. We shut the water off and, and stopped that. And then our neighbor, we came over and we looked at this pipe. And I'm not much of a fix-it person, but my neighbor is, thankfully. And he said, oh, it's no big deal. It, it just broke the seal. What we need to do is just stick it back in, glue it. It won't take me five minutes to fix it. And so it was over just like that. And so I put my arm around Jack, and I said, Jack, I love you, buddy. And we got back in the car, and as we were driving back, I said, son, do you want to get your fishing pole, and do you want to go back down to the pond? And he said, Dad, that, that'd be really great. And there was a, a short pause in the conversation, and he said, Dad, I just knew that I was going to get in so much trouble for this. I just knew that, that, that because of this mistake, because of this error, that, that I was going to get grounded and he goes, I, I don't understand. Why aren't you mad at me? And I said, Jack, buddy, I love you. 
And I said, it was just a mistake. It was an error. I, I know you didn't mean to do it, but I know you've learned from it. I, I guarantee you won't go back down uh, to the pond and lean on it and break it again. He said, oh, no, sir, I'm not going to do that. And I said, son, sometimes we just need love. We need some compassion. We need some understanding. And I said, that's the kind of dad I want to be for you. And friends, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God has that kind of compassion so much more than me? I am imperfect in so many different ways. But aren't you glad that God shows us compassion when we stray off like a wandering, thick-headed sheep? Aren't you glad that God shows us compassion, that Jesus shows us compassion when we need it the most? When we are most broken is when we need the blessing of Jesus himself. In John uh, chapter 10, verse 15, listen to what these words say. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus loves his sheep. So much so that he's willing to put himself at risk in order for his sheep to be found. Again, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when he went ashore, this is Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion on you, my friends. He loves you. And no matter what burden you have bestowed upon yourself, Jesus is willing to bless you. He was willing to take you as you are because he's willing to transform your life. At first, we see the compassion of the shepherd, but then we also see the commitment of the search. We see the commitment of the shepherd to search for the sheep. Again, go back to Luke chapter 15, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Until he finds it. The most important piece of today's message in Scripture are those words. It's at the very end. It's those words, until he finds it. Four short words. This means, by the way, that the shepherd is committed to the search. He will not stop until he is successful. This means that he, he, he will not stop, he will not sleep, he will not take a break. It means that he will never get tired, he will not grow weary. There is no obstacle too big, there is no mountain too high, there is no barrier too thick. The shepherd will not stop looking for the sheep until he discovers it. The shepherd won't stop until the object of his affection is found. So again, I've learned a lot about my kids um, since being quarantined with them over the past uh, few days. The other, the other day, Angela and I, again, we were cleaning the house, uh, and, and we, were, we were asking our boys to, to pitch in and help. And so Angela had asked Jay to go find Clorox wipes. Yes, we actually have some Clorox wipes at our house, and we were trying to wipe down countertops. And, and, and Jay, my oldest son, he says, well, Mommy, where are they? And she said, well, son, they're, they're in the laundry room, you know, they're in a cabinet, just go in there and look for it. And so Jay, he kind of, as a 14-year-old teenage boy who doesn't really like to clean house, he kind of, you know, uh, 
gave a, a, a grimace and he kind of stomped off. And, and I can hear him, uh, you know, moving things around, shuffling things around. And he's gone for a minute or two and he walks back in to where we were and he says, Mom, I can't find it. We don't have any Clorox wipes. And my wife says, yes, we do. Of course we have Clorox wipes. We just bought some. They're in the cabinet. Go back and look again. Jay leaves. He goes back. I see, I hear him kind of looking for stuff. Now even a shorter time, a shorter window has passed, and he comes back and says, I can't find them. I don't know where they are. And so Angela stops what she's doing. And moms, how many of you have done this for your teenage kids and probably your husbands? And she stops what she's doing, and she walks into the laundry room. She's in there truly for about five seconds, and she finds the Clorox wipes that she's looking for. And she brings them to Jay and hands them to Jay, and she said this to him. She said, you know, you just really needed to look for it, son. You didn't really even look for it. He didn't really give his best. He just sort of gave up when he didn't find it initially. And friends, I'm really glad that the good shepherd is not like that. He doesn't stop and he won't quit until he finds his sheep. And Jesus is totally committed to finding me and you and all of his sheep. And he wants to save us all. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. We all know folks that have strayed off the path. That perhaps they're folks, uh, maybe our children even, that have accepted Christ at a young age but are not living uh, in a truly faithful way. Maybe they don't have the fellowship with Christ that we would love to see them have. Well, I will tell you this, never give up on people. Never give up on them because you never know when Jesus is going to find that sheep. If Jesus can find Paul, if Jesus can find Peter, if Jesus can, can transform the life of King David, friend, there is nobody that's out of reach of the shepherd. And we just have to stay committed in praying for those folks and also praying for ourselves. So this morning, again, we see the response of the shepherd in verse 4. Now, the next point is this. We see the next lesson is we are rescued by the shepherd and that comes from verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays that weak sheep on his shoulders, and he goes away rejoicing. The other day I was studying for today's message, and I found a really interesting sermon illustration. It's the story of a gentleman by the name of John Claypool. And the story is that John Claypool, back in 1995, was attending a church service. Claypool was sitting in the back. And there was something about the pastor's message that really struck uh, John Claypool. And so at the time of the invitation, he got up and he walked down the aisle and he took the pastor by the hand and he said, today I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus has been knocking on my door for a long time, preacher, and I'm ready today to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. You can imagine the pastor was overjoyed. He was very excited uh, about this, this man that he had never met coming to receive Christ. Not long after that, Claypool was baptized. And a, a couple days after that, he schedules an appointment to meet with his pastor. And he walks in the door and he sits down and he begins to cry on his pastor's sofa. And he says, Pastor, 
I, I, there's something in my life that I believe I need to confess to, that if I want to continue to grow in my walk and relationship with Jesus Christ, I have to make this confession to you, and I have to make this confession to the authorities because this is a barrier between me and my walk with Jesus. And so the pastor said, well, you know, John, well, what are you confessing today? And John Claypool looked his pastor in the eye and he said, Pastor, I am guilty of a double homicide that has gone unsolved for the past 20 years. In 1995, John Claypool was a, a teenager and he was high on marijuana and he was drunk. And Satan placed in this teenager's mind a question, what would it be like if I killed someone? John Claypool went into his house. He got himself a gun. He walked across the street to his neighbor's house, by the way, who happened to be the mayor of the town. He knocked on the door. The mayor opened it, and John made up some story of, of needing to use the phone, that his phone was not working in his house. And so the mayor opened his door, invited John in, and as soon as he did so, John took out his pistol and shot that mayor in cold blood to death. Then he went into the bedroom where his wife was hiding, and then he shot her as well. John Claypool lived for the next 20 years with that burden on his mind, knowing that he was a murderer, knowing that he was a killer. And for 20 years, that crime went unsolved. They never had enough evidence to put John at the scene of the crime. It was a cold case. And so after John Claypool confessed to this double homicide, he then went to the authorities and he shared with them the news of what he had done. And then after that, Claypool was sentenced to 10 years in jail. Probably not enough time, to be honest with you, for what he had done. But he was sentenced for 20 years, or excuse me, 10 years to jail. And the, the police commissioner that took John Claypool's, uh, his confession said this, and this is a quote from this newspaper article. He said, thanks to the almighty God for giving John Claypool the guidance and resolve to do what was right and come forward, ending the years of doubt, uncertainty, and frustration. You see, friends, John Claypool was guilty of murder he spent the next 10 years of his life behind bars. And in prison, Claypool would lead hundreds, even thousands of people to Jesus Christ. Claypool's confession, by the way, didn't right the wrongs. It didn't take away the hurt and the pain. It didn't heal the wounds of the family that he had destroyed. But it does show you just how far Christ will go to transform that sheep. It shows you just how far Jesus will go to reach that lost person, to transform that sinner into a, a person who is saved. And brothers and sisters, do you feel that you're too far gone? Do you feel that Jesus will never find you, that he'll never rescue you? If you do, I know what it feels like. I've been there before. My advice to you is this, confess your sin to a friend, a family member, a trusted brother or sister. Come to Christ, confess, and let the shepherd bring healing to your life. The only way to heal is to confess. Trust me, Claypool living in jail with a peaceful conscience was better than living in the world with a convicted heart. John Claypool is out today. He's written books and he's shared his testimony 
And friends, I believe that Jesus can do that. If he can do that in Claypool's life, he can do it in my life and yours as well. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. All of us are like sheep that have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on us, if you want to, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that being Jesus. And so we have the last lesson. We have the response of the shepherd. We have the rescue, the rescue of the shepherd, and then we have the rejoicing of the shepherd. And when he comes home in verse 6 and 7, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to, to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found this sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So the shepherd discovers the sheep. He throws that poor, weak sheep over his shoulders and he brings him home. And by the way, that's the point of these next three parables. It's the point of something being lost and making its way back home. Friends, can you remember the first time you came home after maybe going to college? Maybe, the, maybe you had just finished your first semester and you had come home. Do you remember the joy that your parents had for you when you opened the door and they saw you for the first time in several months? You know, some of the, my most favorite videos that I find on the internet or even on TV is of our military service men and women. And they've been in Iraq or Afghanistan. They've been separated for their families uh, for, for a, a great bit of time. And maybe they've created this, uh, this great narrative story and they, their children are here and, and they're in the back and they open the door and their children don't know that they're there and they walk up and they tap them on the shoulder and their children turn around and they see that it's their mom and dad and there's great weeping, there's tears of joy. Those are some of my most favorite videos. I imagine that this is the kind of party that Jesus is talking about. That something that has been gone, lost, has finally come home. It's never too late to come home. There's always joy in heaven when something is lost comes back. But Jesus says there's not just some, there's joy in, 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 at home, but then he says there's joy in another place. He says that there's not only joy at home, but there's also joy in heaven. Oh, friends, when a lost person or when someone who's not saved, when he becomes saved, when he's transformed from death to life, I can imagine there is choirs of angels. They are singing. There is dancing in the streets of gold. I believe heaven ignites with joy when people receive Christ as their Savior. Angels dance. God sings. Heaven erupts with thunderous applause over a sinner becoming saved. I'll close with this last illustration. Several years ago, I don't know if you heard about the story of Shrek the sheep. Yes, Shrek, just like the, the cartoon. But there's Shrek the sheep on your television screen. Shrek the sheep had left. He had run away from his pasture. He had run away from the herd. And he had evaded the shepherd for some six years. He was up in the mountains. And you can see what happens to his sheep after he had not been sheared for six years. Uh, old Shrek was in bad shape. Well, finally, that shepherd, because he doesn't give up and he doesn't stop looking until he finds the sheep, the shepherd finds old Shrek. And the first thing he does is he pins Shrek's, uh, his wool back over his eyes so that he can see again for the first time. 
And there was so much interest in this sheep called Shrek that people from all around the world came with their cameras to take pictures of this odd-looking sheep. You can see there the, the owner of the sheep, the shepherd, had even made a pen. And people from all over the world came to look at Shrek, the sheep, and the mounds and mounds of wool that Shrek had. And then, after a few days, on live television— I didn't know that this was possible, but you can be a world champion shearer. A guy named Peter Casserly, he shaved off all of Shrek's wool, restoring Shrek back to looking like the sheep that he once was some six years ago. He laid Shrek on his side and he he allowed the wool to be Shrek's bed. And there he is, after he was all cleaned up, after the shepherd had found him, after the shepherd had cleaned him up. Friends, how much is Shrek's story like ours? For we're all like sheep that have gone astray. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross removes all of our sin and guilt that makes us unrecognizable children of God. That's why we want to remember that the good shepherd, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds, by his stripes, we have been healed because we continually stray like sheep. But it is possible to return because the shepherd is calling you home. In 1 Peter 2.24 Listen to what Peter says. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we have been healed. This morning, maybe you're like a sheep that has gone astray. Maybe you've broken fellowship with the herd. Maybe you have thought to yourself, you know, this way, this, this, this way of living is better and yet, the way of living that you've, been, uh, that you've chosen is apart from God. Maybe you're like John Claypool. Maybe you're not confessing a double homicide. But maybe this morning you would confess your need for a Savior. And friend, I want to walk you through that step. It's as simple as A, B, and C. And you can receive Christ right here, right now, today, at your home, on your couch, wherever you are watching this lesson. At first, you have to admit that you're a Savior or admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, excuse me. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone has sinned. No one is perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have hit perfection. And because of our imperfection, we've been separated from God. God is pure, he is holy, and cannot be in the presence of sin. And yet Jesus has become our Savior So if you can admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, then you hit letter B, which is believe. Believe that Jesus is God's Son, that he was sent to earth, that he died for you and for me. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless he comes through me. Again, in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Would you be willing today to accept Christ as your Savior? And lastly, we have the letter C, and that's the commitment. You commit your life to following Jesus. 
Oh, friend, in Mark chapter 419, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Jesus calls a ragtag group of misfits to come and follow him. And it says at once they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. That's the kind of commitment that Jesus is looking for. He wants you to drop your nets, to lay aside your sin, to repent and to follow him. Would you be willing, if you need that this morning, would you be willing to confess that? And would you be willing to pray this very simple prayer with me? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, this morning as we've come into this this time of invitation, I pray for the people today that need your special healing touch. Father, if this person is out there today, and I believe they are, I pray that they'll say these words after me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I have done so many things wrong. I have sinned not only against myself, but more importantly, I've sinned against you. Lord Jesus, today, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask, Lord, for you to step in my life, to step in my heart, and to save my soul. Lord, I don't want to be separated from you any longer. My way of living is not right. And now I want the peace that's offered through you, through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, today I confess and I commit my life to you. Lord, help me to be the follower that you've created me to be. Lord, I pray that you'll give me the strength to stand against sin and to embrace your word as the light that it is. Guide me and lead me and direct me. Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord, I do pray for our church family this morning. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, that they will remain committed, first of all, to your word. And I pray that they will remain committed to Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that they will come back next week and that they'll enjoy another time of worship as we add more components uh, to what we are trying to do here online. Lord Jesus, bless them, keep them well, and help them to stay safe during these turbulent times. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast. And we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube. And at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.